It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals now 1-12, and dropping this one to the Cleveland Browns. Joe is back from his vacation in Florida. We'll get you a full game recap today. But first, Joe, you saw the Millennium Falcon. You got some lightsabers. How was your trip It was America's Playground or whatever we yeah. Disney World? It's it's America's playground, I guess, right? It's it's fun. I mean, it's it's Disney World. You can't not have a good time. It's just the uh, the kids, man. They're such a drag. Now you're going there for the kids, right? You're having a good time with your family. Disney World's what you're supposed to do, but they cannot handle it when they're that young. But the Millennium Falcon was awesome. The whole Star Wars park is pretty crazy, pretty immersive. You'll have a really good time if you go there. I started watching The Mandalorian, too, speaking of Star Wars things. But we do have a football game to talk about, so let's get into that. The Cincinnati Bengals today lose to the Browns 19-27 to to fall to 1-12, and still firmly in control of their fate for that first overall draft pick. But I do feel for the players who must feel like, again, they were right on the cusp. They had a big interception in the red zone, the opposing red zone, that was called back with defensive pass interference called after an automatic official review that always occurs after turnovers. And I think that's the first time this has happened this season. I remember when they announced the rule that this would be the thing that would upset fans if in a very close playoff implications or playoff game, there was a tip ball kind of interception situation like this where they overturn an interception with a defensive pass interference call that wasn't even challenged. And I don't think Freddie Kitchens even challenges this play if the ball falls harmlessly incomplete. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he does because of the low rate of which they've been overturned this year. It's such a very minor uh, push or tug or even contact. I don't even know what you want to call it. It was a competitive play for the football on a, on a poorly thrown pass, I think, is which you, where we usually see these defensive pass interference situations happening. And Jackson just nudges early, but he just nudges Odell Beckham and they – Apparently thought that was enough to call defensive pass interference. By rule, it is, but I thought it was extremely crazy for them to overturn that based on the precedent they have set so far this year. Now, having said that, uh, that wasn't the game that, or wasn't the play that decided it. It was just the biggest play in the final five minutes of a very close game at the time. And that's the thing. It's a very close game. This was a very winnable game, again, for the Bengals, about five in a row now for them, where you felt like, you know, a little bit better here, a little help here or there, this team gets over the hump. And I think we can look back at a lot of plays in this game and think, 
if something happens differently, and particularly in the red zone, this team comes away with a victory again. In the red zone and on third down were the struggles that we saw for the Bengals today. They thoroughly outgained the Browns in this game, over 100 yards, more than the Browns have on offense, 451 to 333 for the Browns, 10 more first downs, 27 to 17. But on third down, the Browns are 7 for 12, while the Bengals are 3 for 12. The Bengals were very good on first and second downs in this game, but had just as many third down opportunities as the Browns did and just did not come away with them. In the second half, their first two drives combined for 32 plays, 150 yards, 16 minutes nearly of time of possession, and only three points. And that's due to ineffectiveness in the red zone. The first drive they go down there, they get down to the two-yard line off of the back of good running from Joe Mixon, a few big plays in the passing game. And that's the theme of the day to this point. They're getting big plays on first and second down, the passing game and the running game generally working well together. They get down to the two and then they throw it. And they don't even take a shot at running it from the two-yard line here after they scored, running the ball in a similar situation earlier in the game. They're running the ball well throughout the game. They come back just one drive later. They get into the red zone. Zach Taylor says, oh, I know. This time I'll run the ball with Joe Mixon. But this time they're not on the two. They're on the eight. And they run the ball twice in a row. They get it down to the three. And then eventually they go for it on fourth down and run a QB draw from the shotgun, which they had run earlier in the drive to pick up a first down on a third down, which was really just our second, third down conversion of the game. This time the Browns ready for it. I mean, you're asking Andy Dalton, who doesn't have the athleticism he had in his youth to run a QB draw, and he ends up trying to run it in from, what, the five, six-yard line? Way behind the line of scrimmage. I want to say he audible to that, though. Just based on the look, it might have been because they did this earlier in the game where they spread it out, Andy Dalton converts on a third down, I believe it was third and three. It was a shorter play uh, where he just took a QB draw because the defense was spread out. I think they it looked like they packaged the play here just based on my live viewing, and they spread them out, and Dalton took the same liberty and said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take my opportunity here. And the Browns looked like they were aware of it and were ready for it and bunched everyone back in as soon as the ball was snapped. And there was just no room for Dalton to run at all. And he's just not that type of guy anymore. You'd have to be a special athlete to try and make somebody miss in that situation. But there was other red zone situations, more than just the play calling, where I thought Andy Dalton was particularly bad. Remember, he used to be really good in the red zone back early in his career. And then, you know, peaking at 2015. But there were so many missed throws or missed opportunities here where I I wasn't sure if he was seeing the field correctly or freaking out in the pocket a little bit, seeing ghosts. The two, the one that he got called for uh, intentional grounding on the first drive, I believe it was, The there's no pressure there. He just, I don't think he thinks he can run for it. The middle of the field was open again, very similar play, right? And he just chucks it through the goalpost. And then there's one later in the later drive, and I believe it was that one where he does the same thing, throws it through the goalpost. Those are just killed plays in an opportunity that ends up being a one-score game. I'm 100% with you there. This game really boils down to some missed opportunities on both sides of the ball, you, you have the pick that wasn't for Jesse Bates, the red zone missed opportunities. I mean, Joe Mixon ran the ball really well in this game, 179 yards rushing the ball. Andy Dalton wasn't great, but he was passable. He definitely threw some balls behind Auden Tate a couple times. One of them that was nearly intercepted. I think you know what play I'm talking about. I thought maybe he was expecting Auden Tate to sit down a little bit instead of run into triple coverage there. So I don't know if I... And that hard on Dalton for that one, but he misses Alex Erickson wide open out of bounds. 
maybe, again, if you really want to defend Dalton here, it was Wendy. I don't know, but, I mean, you've got to hit that throw, right? Because that's right. a huge play that, that leads to probably some points, and they've just got to execute better in the red zone. Weird game for the Bengals worth noting in terms of penalties. Eight penalties for 99 yards. Probably their worst game for penalties all year. And the yep. pick six really hurts them too, right? The the margin of victory for the Browns, eight points. That's one score, and a lot of that comes from that touchdown. Yeah, I was going to say the pick six, as you're talking about Dalton's misses to Tate, because that was also uh, high and outside to Tate. It just seems like he and Tate, for whatever reason, cannot get on the same page in terms of placement and depth of routes. You wonder if it's inaccuracy with Dalton. And then when you go look at you know a handful of other plays today, you go – he, maybe he's just inaccurate. You tend to lean that way because he doesn't mm-hmm. have timing and positioning issues with other guys other than maybe John Ross, uh, who caught two balls today. But when you see that, uh, you know, the comfort with the other receivers, the only other guy he really had that issue with, with at times was A.J. Green, where you weren't sure, are they trying to throw a back shoulder? Were they trying to lead it upfield? Were they trying to get Green to sit down? And it seems like he's having those same issues with Auden Tate. And I don't know if it's just with the guy running deeper routes or just – Whatever the case may be, they need to get on the same page if they're going to be more successful. But then what are we saying, right? Are we in the tank? Are we ready for this? Is that what you know we're rooting for? I think a lot of people are at this point. Speaking of the tank, we do have a great deal for you in Miami right now. We've got the Kimpton Epic Miami Luxury Hotel that's calling on you, Bengals fans, with a sweet deal to go down to Miami and cheer the team on. You could probably root for a win in this game, depending on how the next couple weeks goes. They get the Patriots next week. That's not going to go well for the Bengals. Miami narrowly loses today, but that game still definitely has draft implications because Miami similarly lost the game on a defensive pass interference that was overturned. So we'll put this out on our Twitter page. We've got $149 rooms from the Kenton Epic Miami Hotel, 10 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the stadium, and friends and family pricing on tickets, $35 up to $90 in the lower bowl. We'll put all those details on our Twitter page. And Joe has one other special offer to tell you about before we get back to the game. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. So uh, this game, I think the Bengals were good enough defensively, giving up 20 points. Remember, one uh, pick six accounted for seven. So really, this game, you could look at it as a 19-20 to victory. 20 has been that 
hump for this offense. They really haven't been able to get over it in, at all. It's been one game, I believe. The No, two games. The Jets and the Cardinals games. And you look back and you say, in this performance, what does the offense have to do to be, be completely rounded out to put up more points? Uh, we're going to look at the red zone stuff. We're going to look at third downs. Look at the stats. Look at the play calling. Look at the quarterback play. But overall, I just think there's not enough going on in the passing game in terms of variety. I, you know, I feel good about throwing underneath to to uh, Tyler Boyd, especially on third downs. I feel like they schemed some things where Alex Erickson throwing to Giovanni Bernard was really fun. Mixon caught 40 yards today. Uh, Gio caught 31 yards. It's, it's actually one of their better passing performances for the underneath middle stuff. It's just something still lacking, even though John Ross got to play today. Yeah, if you go and look at how the Bengals threw outside the numbers in this game, that is where you leave something to be desired. The deep throw to Alex Erickson flies out of bounds. The near picks thrown to Auden Tate. And, and we talked about this a little bit in the open, right? You're talking about Andy Dalton and Auden Tate not being on the same page. And I think that that is more frequent on some of these routes where Auden Tate's skill set isn't necessarily best. And and especially coming back to the football, right? Auden Tate on the deep curl, that is just not a strength to his game. He's big, tall, long. You want him to be able to get a ball in space. And, and the comeback routes, I think, give defensive backs the opportunity to play around him and get to the ball. You also have seen Auden Tate a few times this year, perhaps not understanding zones the way mm-hmm. or seeing them the same way Dalton did. And you talked about this with AJ Green as well. Maybe it's that position. Maybe because right. Auden Tate is in the AJ Green rollout there. Maybe it's that position where Andy Dalton has a different understanding of the responsibilities and the reads than the wide receiver does because it has been consistent there. You even saw this probably to some degree when John Ross was trying to, mm-hmm. to run some of those routes earlier this season. But middle of the field was great today. I agree with that too. I thought Tyler Boyd, middle of the field, they were chewing up yards in that area of the game. And the running game continues to show a lot of promise. Now, Cleveland's without Miles Garrett, but still, Sheldon Richardson's out there. Larry Ogunjobi's out there. They've got a solid group up there. Joe Schobert's having a fantastic season. Mixon goes 23 carries for 146 yards with a long of 26, which means he was getting those yards consistently. And they're running that little weak side pitch where they pull the center and the guard, Mike Jordan and Trey Hopkins, for the most part, away from the strong side of the formation. That gets Joe Mixon into space. They have a numbers advantage generally when they're running that play, and then he's just accelerating. And that, I think, probably averaged, what, 10 yards per carry for the Bengals on four attempts or so today? Yeah, I really like that one. And the, the one that was down the left sideline where John Ross got called for that holding play, oh, which garbage. I thought was crazy. Yeah, not, he turned Denzel Ward into a pretzel, and Ward doesn't even actually try to fight back inside. He just says, once I get turned, I'm just going to raise my hands yep. in the air as Mixon runs by. Exactly. You're doing the motion. Jake's and, doing it right now for you. <laughs> and, and Ward was also holding is holding Ross. So I right. mean, it's going both ways there. Ross is, is sustaining an excellent block downfield that springing Mixon for nearly should have been touchdown. And, and instead, yeah, I, I hated that call. Speaking of Ross, he had another nice block too, where they brought him in motion on the goal yeah. line. It was a third and one, I believe this is, or fourth and inches. Was it, it was in that situation right before, right before uh, they ended up throwing three times in a row. But uh, yeah, he's got the, the edge guy and he's got to block him and he, he, man, he moved him out of there. That should be Auden Tate, but obviously by this time Tate was hurt, which we don't have an update yet on that. It looked like a knee, left knee. Uh, he was taken off right away and went to the locker room. But Ross gets that block and in there and then ends up being a sack. 
a throwaway and then a poorly thrown pass to Stanley Morgan, I believe. And Stanley Morgan is unfortunately not showing up on offense and even on special teams today. He has that face mask penalty that sets the Bengals back, puts them from the 30 or 35 all the way back inside their own 20 to start a drive at the end of the first half, where instead of going down and having a chance to score points, the Bengals are now way behind trying to scramble and make something happen and it doesn't happen. So Stanley Morgan, I, I think he got off to a great start as a special teamer for this team doing a lot of things that are desirable on special teams, but needs to put some something together on offense and continue to be consistent on special teams. You can't have penalties if you right. want to make the team as a special team or year over year. Especially because it's a good receiver group. You feel like I was talking about this before the game, looking at the offense, what it could look like next year. And you feel good if they keep AJ green with the five receivers and with this draft class coming up, they'll probably draft a guy or two because why not? It'll be the best player available more than likely. Morgan needs to show not only he can help on offense, but obviously he's here because he's better at special teams than Damian Willis. So um, there was a few plays today where it seems they're trotting out Stanley Morgan, and I'm thinking, no, do not throw the ball now. It's third and short, or you're in the red zone, and the one actually called timeout and replaced Morgan and Alex Erickson with uh, Boyd and Ross at the time. The other player that got some playing time today that we haven't seen much of this year is Fred Johnson, who ran a little corner route that Dalton ends up scrambling on in the red zone. I didn't actually love that play call. I I get the idea behind it, but you're giving Dalton one read and it's an offensive lineman and you're in the red zone and you've been struggling down there. And I think it's just too cute when you haven't been having success in that part of the field the way the Bengals haven't this year. So I I didn't love that. The Browns were ready for it. They ran with Fred Johnson to the corner and Dalton scrambles, make something happen. But uh, good to see Fred Johnson get on the field. He was also the extra tackle. He was out there for a few plays as an extra offensive lineman. That was the old Jake Fisher play, huh? So Andy Dalton goes 22 of 38, 262 yards and an interception. He also ran three times for 11 yards. Joe Mixon, 23 carries, 146 yards and a touchdown. That's a 6.3 average. He also caught three passes for 40, so 186 yards on the day. Big day for Joe Mixon. Uh, Tyler Boyd, their leading receiver, 5 for 75, and Tyler Eifert is number two with 4 for 49. So an all-around good day for the Bengals offense, and I think that when we look at this game later on, we'll see that John Ross maybe didn't make as much of an impact as you'd like to see. He stays in bounds on their desperation drive instead of running out of bounds. I think that's he, – he probably thinks, oh, I can just stick my foot in the ground and run by this guy and maybe score sure. a touchdown real quick here. But he didn't. He didn't make the guy miss. Goes down inbounds instead. It was a pretty bad cut, I would say, if he was trying to juke the guy and get around him. And, and if that's the case, right. you got to kind of know yourself and get out of bounds there. He also had a drop today, so a couple of mistakes for John Ross. And then the penalty, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was called against him. But, yeah, I thought the same thing. Oh, he's going to make this guy miss. We've seen him do some crazy things with the ball in his hands. And, uh, yeah, I think he he goes, oh, that cut didn't work. I'm just going to try and run this guy over. Yeah, and and so you hope that Ross continues what we saw early this season. Yeah, the drop was a bad drop, and he still needs to buy a jugs machine. But the other player – that you point to on the offensive side of the ball that struggled today was, was Andy Dalton. And, and that's it. Andy Dalton, 22 of 38, 262. It's an average of like 6.6 yards per attempt. It's just 
not good enough. The the miscommunications, not being on the same page with Auden Tate or throwing behind him, whatever the case may be, not good enough. And and so now we're in the same situation as we've been in all year. He he looked good last week, didn't look as good this week, looked like the same Dalton we've seen all season for the most part. And mm-hmm. now we still want Joe Burrow. He had more negative plays than positive plays today, for sure. And I think we talked off air, the one, uh, the Fred Johnson play, where Dalton ends up running and gaining three or four yards, whatever it was, I think was his best play of the day because there's nothing there and he created something. Other than that, he kind of was just a a point guard dishing what was there. And there was sacks that I felt were definitely his fault. And there were some bad decisions and throws that were just you come back and you say a lot of different quarterbacks probably win this game. Yeah, you you have the one play where Auden Tate's running free down the right side. He throws it into That's the right. ground at Tyler Boyd's feet. He one-hops uh, Stanley Morgan in the corner of the end zone on a third down on another play. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just a number of plays you look at with Dalton, and it's like, man, you're just leaving those out there. And then you have the pick six to top it off, which isn't totally his fault, but it's it, it's bad luck, but it's also not a good throw. So, So there's some defense to talk about in this game, and we'll get there in just a second. Before we get there, just one other offer to tell you about. We've got $100 towards select mattresses from Casper at casper.com slash locked NFL. So if you're losing sleep over the Bengals draft positioning, head on over to casper.com slash locked NFL. Save 100 bucks on a new mattress. Maybe you'll sleep a little bit better. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we talk about the offensive struggles at quarterback with Andy Dalton, but he was actually the best quarterback out there on the field today, right? Surprisingly, as bad as he was, uh, Baker Mayfield was terrible. I don't know if you feel the same way, Jake, but when I watch him, I this does not look like the guy we watched last year. And it's been – I've only watched maybe four Browns games this year. They had a lot of primetime games early in the year. And uh, he just seems late, inaccurate, on this, a different page from his star receiver, especially Beckham Jr. Uh, but the defense, again, puts together a decent performance. The only real difference today was Sam Hubbard wasn't out there. So I, I thought maybe against the run they were a little bit weaker, especially when they tacked attacked uh, Carl Lawson on the edge, but Lawson had a sack, their only sack on the day. Nick Vigil started the day really hot. He ripped an interception away from David Njoku. He almost picked off another slant pass. Uh, He was active for the most part. Again, for whatever reason, Nick Vigil is getting it together, and it's turned it around the last month for him. The other interception was by Jesse Bates, who almost had two. He's back. We've been talking about him since the break of making plays again for this defense. It's nice to see some of the young guys play well, make impact plays, even if you are one of the fans that are rooting for this team to fall short at the end of the day. Yeah, Carl Lawson also had a nice run stop, but then on the big run for Nick Chubb, or on one of the big runs for Nick Chubb, I think he got confused in the backfield, got caught watching Baker Mayfield. Yeah, it was a big run. And Jesse Bates... There was was two running backs back there, and I think that's where he took the wrong guy. I thought he was watching Baker's if it was a play-action play or a read option. And, And on that same play, unless I'm thinking of a different play, the same play... 
Jesse Bates misses a tackle on Chubb in the backfield, and then Chubb continues on to run through a whole bunch of guys. Yeah, I am thinking of a different play. The one you're talking about is probably there was two, two big runs. And, and yeah, and the, the other one, Bates actually runs into Lawson in the backfield and cuts off Lawson's angle of pursuit as they both fail to get Chubb down in the backfield. So what bit the Bengals defense today, they were generally very good, but there were four big plays. There's a 57-yard run for Nick Chubb. There's a 34-yard catch for Jarvis Landry. There's a 29-yard catch, and that was a screen toward the end of the game. There's a 29-yard catch for Kareem Hunt mm-hmm. and a couple other 22, 21-yard catches for Beckham and Ricky Seals-Jones. And one of those was on – there's a third and 19 that the Browns converted. Ricky Seals-Jones just got open in, in the right flat and ends up in space, takes a 22 yards downfield. So the big play was still there to some degree. There were five or six – 19 plus yard plays the Bengals gave up in this one but for the most part very good Baker's 11 for 24 with two picks he's I agree with you he doesn't look good this year he's throwing high quite a bit and maybe the interceptions are bad luck because they're both coming on tip balls but he's putting those balls in position to be tipped because he's throwing high frequently two other notes for me Jermaine Pratt leads the team in tackles today and uh William Jackson shadowed Odo Beckham Jr. all around the field, which I thought was great. He's done that a couple times this year. Not, It's not an every week thing. It's definitely, I feel like, when they feel they have the advantage or they want to really focus on a number one receiver, and he did. Beckham ended up with two for 39. There was that defensive pass interference at the end of the game that'll go against Jackson. But overall, I think you would take two for 40 every day from a number one receiver against your defense. So for me, uh, you know, Pratt, I want to watch the tape because he's been all over the place. I feel like when I watch him on tape, there's been a lot of games so far of this stretch since Preston Brown's been released where he's making a lot of tackles, he's flashing in the run game, and it's the passing game, and it's the it's pass coverage where he ends up getting chewed up a little bit. But I did not notice the tight ends or line or running backs out in the middle of the field. It was on the edge where there was a missed tackle here or there. Yeah, and Carlos Dunlap gets mashed up on Kareem Hunt on a little out route at some point, which is not a matchup that you want. And that's where you just talk about Lou Anarumo a little bit, right? Because he's still calling these fire zone blitzes and they continue to not work. They're, they're blitzing yeah. dark West and our two out of three plays. They're blitzing Jesse Bates and Sean Williams and dropping Carl Lawson into a hook curl zone in the middle of the field yeah. or dropping, uh, Carlos Dunlap into covering yep. a running back on the right sideline in the flat. And and those just aren't beneficial matchups when your pressure isn't getting home. And it didn't this week. It might've worked a little bit better last week against the jets. But again, this is something that we've talked about all year where some of these more exotic zones that he's running to try to confuse opposing offenses just are backfiring. The inverted cover two stuff all year hasn't worked. The fire zones are getting exploited more often than not. And then on other plays, things seem to be working pretty well. And and those are mostly plays where they're not blitzing. They're not doing weird stuff in the back end. And and it seems to be fine. So maybe we're just not talking about or seeing the plays where they're doing the exotic stuff and it works. Or maybe it's exactly what I'm thinking it is. Because as a whole, the defense is trending up at least over the last month. It does feel like they're getting, for the majority of the game, getting better. The splash plays aren't there as much they were getting killed earlier in the year with 20 yard chunk plays the four that you talked about what are the difference in this game 
And so those are still the Achilles heel of this defense, but they're getting their hands on the ball. The pass rush has been better. It wasn't today. But overall, I would say this defense is trending up from where they were. I even, and people are going to pick on the play calling on offense, especially down in the red zone. But I thought overall, the play calling on offense showed new wrinkles, especially they've been doing that in the run game now since the bye week. I think they showed some new things in the passing game too. The one fake handoff to Alex Erickson, and then they end up throwing him a screen on the left side. That's a new wrinkle to a play they always run. So these are positive signs for me overall. Uh, when we're talking about the future and for any of these coaches, are you going to hold on to any of them? Should they hold on to them? Should they make a change on the defensive side or the O-line coach? Michael Jordan, I thought, flashed a few times today. I'll be interested to see what his grade is. And when I focus on him, it seemed like they were running off his back uh, quite a few times for Joe Mixon. But the Bengals are 1-12. I watched that LSU-Georgia SEC championship game, Jake. I saw you tweeting about it also. Um, man, our guy Joe Burrow, it looks like, man, it, we were 80-20. I put up a poll two weeks, maybe three weeks ago, and it was Bengals fans in favor of taking Joe Burrow over Joe Mick or uh, over, uh, I'm sorry, I was going to say Joe Mixon, over Chase Young first overall. But as the Bengals have a decent lead and we're down to three games left, they would have to go on some run here. It looks like that pairing of Joe Burrow who's probably going to win the Heisman and the Bengals at number one. I can't help but to be excited about this. Yeah, we just got to watch the Giants, right? Because yeah. the Bengals have two games left. They have to go play Miami. They have to play the Browns again. And the Browns continue to look dysfunctional. I wouldn't be surprised if, especially if the Browns are out of the playoff picture, Odell Beckham doesn't even play in week 17 because they're talking sure. about his sports hernia after the game. Baker Mayfield talking to the media saying that the training staff mishandled his injury he should have had a surgery in the preseason just missed a couple weeks I think there was that time in the game when he Jesse Bates hit some hard in the midsection you see him mm -hmm. grimacing in pain on the side I think Jesse Bates probably hit him in the hernia sure I mean that's he, a hernia he cracked is, him. is is where you have a, a little piece of your gut protruding through your abdominal wall your uh, your core muscles and Bates hit him hard in the middle of his body he could have very well hit exactly where he's feeling that hernia so the Bengals, I feel, could win another game here. The sure. Giants really need to win one more for me to feel good about it. One note I wanted to throw out there, a really cool tidbit on the broadcast that I that I looked into. They compared coaches that start 1-11 to, to good coaches in the history of the NFL. Chuck Knoll, 1969, Bill Walsh, 1979, and Jimmy Johnson for the Cowboys in 1989 all started 1-11. There's a few things that are sort of similar to those situations in Zach Taylor. Chuck Knoll, the next year, they draft Terry Bradshaw in the 1970 draft. And first get their overall, home, right? First overall and get their, get their quarterback. Bill Walsh and Jimmy Johnson, I don't know why, but neither team, despite having the worst record in the NFL those years, got the first overall pick in 1980 or 1990. Maybe they traded, maybe not. I couldn't, I couldn't find the detail in my quick research. But for those two, Bill Walsh had rookie Joe Montana in 1979 and Jimmy Johnson had rookie Troy Aikman in 1989. So they did not draft a quarterback the next year because they had a rookie quarterback. And they didn't have the first overall pick. But Chuck Knoll and the Steelers did have that first pick. And they got Hall of Famer Terry Bradshaw in 1980. 1970, I sorry. Right. I think the overarching point there then is once they got their quarterback, all of a sudden these coaches looked like, yep. you know, Hall of Fame coaches. And, and I made and, this point to people after the game today. It's It looked like. They were calling plays with a limited quarterback today. Yeah. 
And the other thing that's interesting about this that is totally irrelevant to any analytical argument at all is that all of these coaches' first year when they went 1-11 was in a year ending in 9, so 2019. Oh, my. We'll continue the trend. Zach Taylor will be the next name on this list with Joe Burrow being the analog to Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, and Terry Bradshaw. You heard it here first, folks. Lock it in. It's <laughs> everything is pointing. Mind calendar, everything rapture's coming, all this. It is lining up. Oh man. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Any other closing notes here, Joe? Are we are we feeling good about the first round pick? We gotta watch the Giants play the oh, Eagles yeah. twice too. The Eagles have been looking fallible. Eli yeah, Manning. The, yeah, Giants play the uh Dolphins. So they play the Eagles, then they play the Dolphins and the Redskins. So there's a real good opportunity that the Giants probably win one of those games. If that's the case, then we are we are shooting number one and we're in clear sailing. I know the Dolphins and the Browns still coming up. You, we should chalk. We should no put it in stone that the Bengals will lose to the Patriots next week and say, okay, final two games. You can only win one for a team that's only won one game in 14. At that point, it sounds like a good bet. I like that bet, and I'll take the Miami game because we can go there for cheap and enjoy the beach. And again, we'll post those details on our Twitter page. We really hope that some of you take advantage of that nice offer from the Kinton Epic Miami Hotel. And that being said, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll have looked at PFF grades. We'll have listened to the press conferences and seen what they say on Monday. But it's going to be what we just talked about. Third down, red zone, missing plays on the field, penalties, third down efficiency. I already said that one. Quarterback play. But we'll get all that to you tomorrow. And until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.